everybody, and welcome to Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and today we have a very special treat for you. The first of what I hope will be many of these going forward. As we are now a part of Nerd Life Network, we have the unique opportunity to collaborate with the other shows on our network. Many of you will be familiar with Sarah Lydia. She joined me on our Black Widow, Eternals, and Spider-Man No Way Home episodes. She runs a little place called the Nerd Emporium, specializing in comic sales along with other curiosities and nerd memorabilia. Each month, she is putting out a Nerd Emporium extravaganza, and Comics and Cinema is lucky enough to have a helping hand each month in interviewing a special guest. The extravaganza can be found on the Nerd Life Network YouTube page, and will feature the interview along with other snippets of content, including some comics recommendations by yours truly. I say all of this to say that this month, we were graced by the presence of Kelly Thompson, renowned writer of such comics as Captain Marvel, Black Widow, Uncanny X-Men, Hawkeye, and more, along with creator-owned series that she's starting up and you can find exclusively on her substack. Presented here is the full interview with light edits and some adult language, a comics and cinema first. I hope you all enjoy this as much as we did. Welcome, everybody, to the Nerd Emporium's April Extravaganza. Um, I am here. I am Sarah Lydia. I'm here with Alex, Alex Klein of Comics and Cinema, who is, uh, it's one of our sister productions here on Nerd Life Network. Uh, they're our partner for today's show. And Alex is an exceptionally knowledgeable nerd. He is a fierce ally to the LGBTQ community, and he's just an all-around good dude. So Thank welcome, you. Alex. Thanks for being here. So excited to be here. I know. All right. So the moment you've all been waiting for, we have a very, very special guest with us today. I'm doing my best not to totally lose my mind. Um, if you're a comics veteran, you know her name. But if you're a new nerd, first of all, welcome. Um, you might recognize her name from the most recent Eisner Award-winning Black Widow run with artist Elena Casagrande and colorist Jordi Belair. She's also written Captain Marvel projects with our girl, Kelly Sue. She's written on Hawkeye, Kate Bishop Hawkeye. A couple of years ago, she's written some Star Wars, some X-Men, some West Coast Avengers. The woman is a legend. She's right here, right now, right on the other side of my computer screen. I'm so excited. Please give a warm and nerdy welcome to Miss Kelly Thompson. Kelly, thank you for being here. Thanks for joining Thanks us. For Thanks for having me. I have to say, that's maybe the most impressive intro I've ever gotten. <laughs> Although we may need to redefine legend, though, now that we can be in there. So <laughs> thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yes, absolutely. Um, before we get into the nitty gritty, I did want to highlight real quick that um, the Eisner Award is a big deal in the comics industry. Uh, my degree is in theater, so I compare it to the Tonys. It's the, the Eisner Award is to the comics industry as the Tony Awards are to Broadway. So yeah. it's a big deal. Um, Kelly, can you can you tell us a little bit about the day you found out you're an Eisner Award winner? Do you remember what you were doing? 
I do remember what I was doing. This is going to be a very underwhelming, but hopefully slightly humorous story. <laughs> I never thought in a million years we were going to win. I wasn't even paying any attention. I, I mean, th- it was like Donnie was nominated for crossover, which is like yeah. a really sort of crazy thing that's experimenting with the form. And Al Ewing was nominated for We Only Find Them With When They're Dead, which is a super cool new sci-fi thing. And um, James Tinian, I think, was on there for, I think it was Department of Truth specifically he mm. was up for. And now I'm forgetting, I think there was one other one, and I'm so sorry, but I th- it was another creator-owned thing. So it was like we were the only yeah. big two book in there. We were like an all-female team. I just... I thought there was no chance in hell that it was happening. I wasn't paying any attention. It was sort of late on like a Friday night, I think. And Al Ewing and I are in a writer writing slack together and he DM'd me and he's like, Hey, congratulations. And I still had no idea what he was talking about. I was like, huh? And he was like, you just won the fucking Eisner. I'm sorry. I That's okay. Uh, he's like, you just look. And I, and so I went over and I was like, Oh my God, Al, I was like, thank you so much. He's like, Hey, congratulations. Al is one of the best guys ever. Um, and yeah, that was, that was it. So I went over That's and watched awesome. the, they were doing that. They were doing a feed thing. Cause you know, it was during the pandemic. So they weren't having the live awards. So they did like a feed and I could watch them announce it. And I like screen capped it with our name on there and everything. It was amazing. It was so great. That's um, so cool. Did you call Elena? I didn't. Well, you know, we don't really talk on the phone. I mean, her English is very, very good Um, in the sense that we're able to do this incredible book all in English. So her English is great, but it's not exactly she wants to jump on the phone. Great. You know, like she thinks she's much more comfortable as I would be like communicating via email where she can sort of craft her response because um, if it comes to other languages, I can't do anything. I mean, I took four years (laughs) French and we'd be lucky if I could find a restroom there so you know well that's uh, awesome that you got your congratulations from Al Ewing that's yeah. that's epic that's he's cool amazing he was so nice Donnie called me he was so sweet about it oh nice. um yeah it was really it was amazing and it is a big deal I you can tell you're a theater kid that you called it a Tony because most people say it's like an Oscar because that seems like the more common knowledge <laughs> That facial expression was great. Um, (laughs) um, But yeah, I mean, it's a really big deal in comics and, you know, my career is still pretty young. And so it was, I was just completely blown away that, that, that I was blown away. We were nominated to be honest, but uh, the fact that we got it was, it was so cool. My only complaint about it, and I don't like to talk shit about the Eisners because I think they're really important and they're amazing. But the fact that Jordy wasn't, like that she didn't get a statue and that her name's not on it and she doesn't get announced. It really bothers me. Um, it bothers me. It bothers me on coloring period, but, and so, and I know that they can't like probably pick and choose based on books, but I don't know. Coloring is always incredibly important. Even if you're black and white with spot color, like it's just really important and yeah. someone doing it well can make or break a book. So I, I don't want to, brush everyone under the rug uh as like some colors are more important than others but i will tell you that ours on black widow are absolutely fundamental like they're such an identifying yeah i mean they're such a like core 
key thing about our it's book like branding. And, and 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 like i mean i i'm sure some of this just comes from a practical standpoint of that if you're putting everyone's name on a team it can become a large team quite quickly especially because yeah. a lot of times you don't just have an artist and a and, an, and a colorist, you know, sometimes you've got a couple artists and a couple inkers and a couple, like it depends, every comic is different. And so I'm sure they're just trying to keep it simple, but you know, when Jordy colored every single issue of our run and yeah. she's such a part of the identity of the book, it's, it's hard, it's hard for me to be I, pumped about it and have her locked out of it. I, it's, it's hard. I didn't realize that she wasn't, is that typical that they don't put colorists yeah. on there? Oh, man. I mean, I mean, they have their own, the colorists have their own category um, and they can sometimes show up on, you know, depending, but yeah, if you go look at hmm. the, for our category, um, I think it was new, new series. Um, yes. That best new series. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I think it's just art and writer. Yeah. Well, Artists I mean, it is like what you're saying it is integral to the story i mean the the mark wade black widow run is mm -hmm. one of my favorites because of the colors yeah yep i mean yeah, yeah. gorgeous and that samney art so clean and sharp yes. so good oh i know yeah <laughs> i think that's a, that's like one of the hardest struggles i think just in general about comics is it's it's so different than any other medium where like with a book you, you point to the author and say hey i love this book this author is amazing but whenever you're talking about comics people always fall by the wayside because it is it's like 10 people yeah. take yeah. place to make it you got the lettering you've got the coloring yeah. inkers writers drawers and it, it's tough too when you're you know you're presenting it or you're talking about it on yep. a podcast episode it's okay. a mouthful to say all of them too so you you want to include them but at the same time you can't list off every single thing but it's a shame because again every person worked together to make that it's honestly a really complicated issue because I feel yeah. like, you know, in the last couple of years, I feel like the colorist issue has almost become a non-issue in the sense that people are really good about including them. Now, or, I'm sorry, people are much better about including colorists now and talking about the work in reviews and crediting and stuff like that. But it feels like you've only gone so far if the Eisners still aren't including them on that. But yeah. the second we get to the colorist, then the next thing will be well why aren't the letters being yep. you know yeah. and so it is it, it does feel like well how are we going to get any of this done and i obviously i'm as a as a creator it's really important to me that people get credited correctly and that they get recognized for their work but as someone who also wrote reviews at one time and did podcasts and now writes because of Substack sort of writes a blog again after 10 years away from doing that. Um, it's it can get really exhausting. I mean, there are times when I just don't talk about things because I don't have time to look up every person that was involved with this and link to them and credit them and whatever. And so I just end up not talking about it because I don't want to do it poorly. And is that the right thing to do, I guess? But things are definitely not getting talked about because because I oh I don't I just don't have the time to look up every little thing and and I hate to say it but that stuff does add up I mean doing a subsec post you know it takes out a huge chunk of your day and if you're looking up the entire creative team for every single thing you're talking about it gets it's it's shocking how much worse it gets so Turns into I don't a list know. instead yeah. of a blog <laughs> yeah exactly so I don't know that there's there's no real solution here mm -hmm. I mean I I guess we just keep having the conversation and keep trying yeah. to do our best and 
keep mentioning it. And I did, I did read your most recent blog about the double page. Um, those, oh God, those panels are just so beautiful. Um, oh, she's excellent. She's, she's incredible. I I've said this before. And if we do an interview, I hope she'll let me, uh, she and I were talking about doing a little interview about stuff on the Substack. but her, her young son, uh, Calls calls the book the lady who fights, which I think oh, is the cutest thing I've ever heard. It's such like, a compliment. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, yeah, it was really it was an incredible book to be on. Uh, it's very bittersweet for it to be over. <laughs> I I do hope we're doing a little bit more, like a final sort of one shot chapter thing. That's the plan um, because I it just got, got goosebumps because <laughs> it got cut a bit short for all of us. Um, and Marvel very generously is trying to make that happen for us. But, you know, there's a lot of I's to be dotted and T's to be crossed. So before we get there, That's so exciting. hopefully it'll happen. <laughs> yeah. There's so many pieces of that that fascinates me. The, uh, the the behind the scenes of Marvel in terms of the big one that I think of is like Sign of Grace's Iceman stuff, where yeah. like he, he did this big Iceman thing, but then it got canceled. And then, you know... Th- there's a lot of outcry for it and it came back and he had another one, but then it was a one shot. And then it was a backstory and another one where he was slowly continuing the story. And I was just like, I wonder, you know, why couldn't Marvel have just let the whole thing go and I get the sales or a piece, but I have noticed them trying to, okay, this is something that I think people like, let's put a one shot out there. Let's do a little mini series about it and see if people like it. Yeah. I think um, there is a, you know, I understand people get frustrated. So do I about, cancellations and all of that it doesn't help that since the pandemic it's even harder the numbers are even less transparent um, for all of us out here trying to figure out how your book's doing or not but the other thing that doesn't get talked about a lot I think that's a huge part of this is the is the the time delay you know Um, and I understand that that makes fans upset I it makes me upset too but I don't know how you would get around it, which is to say some books are getting canceled Mm. before their issue two is coming out just based solely on their issue one numbers not being strong enough. And that feels short-sighted and it feels like it sucks. And it feels like, well, you got to give these books room to breathe so people know what they are Mm -hmm. and get a chance Um, and whatever. And I feel all of that. And I want that, especially as someone who's had a lot of books canceled before I'd like them to have been canceled. But the plain reality is that 99% of the time, Marvel and other companies as well, but let's use Marvel since that's where I've done most of my work, is that these things, there's an attrition. So you don't ever go up after your number one, except for in the very rare cases, like the Al Ewing's Immortal Hulk, which had this incredible run. And the more it got talked about, the more people found it, and it was getting all these second printings and fifth printings and whatever and people were going nuts for it and that's great but that is a that is a unicorn mm-hmm. like these days um that, that probably used to happen a lot back in the olden times but in modern comics that's a unicorn and it almost never happens um even for us on captain marvel you know we're headed toward 50 which is an iconic number for her it's incredible um we're so lucky i think we're headed towards eight volumes in trade coming out it's it's wild it's amazing mm-hmm. Yeah, congrats. And we never, but we never, <laughs> we never thought we would get there. I, I don't think anyone did. Um, but we never had, you know, it's funny that Al's book was sort of coming out at the same time we were because 
they had like such incredible success that they really were able, Marvel was able to look at that and go, okay, you've bought yourself, you know, this much road, make your plans. We can bank on it. Like they can look at the numbers and the algorithms and all of that stuff and see that because of what's happening with that book and the way it's trending, they've got a lot of road. We were never that lucky. We were lucky enough to keep not getting canceled, to keep getting greenlit for a new arc, but it was never like, yeah, plan out to 50. It was like, okay, now you got to 40, (laughs) you know, now. And so I think that we've done our best that we can with that. And I think that one of the positives is um, like living that close to the edge lets you really sort of try new stuff on the fly as opposed to executing like a long, Mm -hmm. you know, 50 issue vision or something. So, but we also have to sort of reinvent the wheel every arc. Um, New characters, new location, new exciting, what is the problem we have to solve? And I think it's freeing in some ways and limiting in others. And, um, and so Marvel has to, you know, when you think about Sinna's book or what happened with Iceman, it's like, I'm sure they made those decisions long before fans really got got on board and like were getting excited about something. And then, so they try to course correct and like bring it back or do a new thing or whatever. And I don't know, it's, yeah. it, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I think we often just have to be grateful for what we get because yeah. it's so hard to sort of carve anything off of that, especially stuff that's, you know, a little less mainstream. Um, right. I, I was bummed when they canceled Nebula after like, oh, right. was it like one or two issues? Yeah, yeah. Did, something that one feels like maybe something strange happened with that one during the yeah, pandemic. Right? I, I never really got, I only saw one issue of that, but I don't know what Same. happened there. Yeah. I don't know what happened there. But that, but the pandemic caused a lot of problems like that. I mean, this pandemic definitely yeah. killed our Deadpool run. Like, I don't know how far oh. we would have gotten, but it definitely like <laughs> put a bullet in us right real early. <laughs> so it was painful. <laughs> well, uh, can, um, Alex, do you mind if I jump ahead just real Please. quick? Piggybacking off of, um, exactly what we're talking about so how do you how do you decide is it up to the writer or is it more so what y'all are being told as far as when to end a run and along with that do you is there more of Natasha's story that you wish you could have told and I know you kind of answered that a little bit so whatever you can tell us yeah no I I think um I think there are certainly books that are exceptions, like, you know, Avengers is going to go on, like, we expect we have got a flagship Avengers title, so that's going to be there, Amazing Spider-Man is going to be there, and then those writers are are probably pretty closely, especially for something like Spider-Man that's, that's twice a month, um, you really have to plot out really far for that to not catch up with you <clears throat> too fast, yeah. um, but the so so you know a writer like that like zeb i'm sure he's coordinating very closely with his editors and the spidey office on what they're doing but yeah they're letting him you know come up with i mean he's certainly driving like what he wants to talk about thematically whatever i think spidey is something that probably has more editorial eyes on it because it's such an important title 
than something like Black Widow. I mean, one of the things I learned very early on when I was writing A-Force was that a good way to be able to tell the kind of stories you want to tell is to use characters that nobody else seems to be caring about, you know? It became very clear when I was writing A-Force that there was very little I was going to be able to do of significance with Jen, She-Hulk, or Captain Marvel um, because they were being written in other books and those they were that was the priority in those books I had this really good She-Hulk story I wanted to tell and I like came excitedly to my editor about it and I was like oh let's use this old thing I've got this great idea and she was like she has her own book you can't do that we can't and I was like oh man but that's why Nico and Dazzler got to be such a focus of that as we move forward was because nobody cared what you were doing with them and so you were, I was able to tell sort of better more emotional stories that that had more impact with them because nobody was sort of keeping them eye on them and I think that's true for a lot of characters I mean even though I've written really marquee ladies you know they're still not the Wolverines and the Spider-Mans and the Thors yeah. and the Captain Red. they're Black Widow they're Captain Marvel's probably the quote unquote biggest that I've done that's not Deadpool. And, um, but you know, you, when you play with those ancillary characters a little bit, you've got a lot more room uh, to do something interesting. Um, Is that part of why you brought Anya back? Yes. Um, partly because I knew we needed some good levity. Um, and mostly because I loved that Kelly Sue DeConnick, Warren Ellis Avengers assemble stuff with Anya. It was so fun. And I like, I really love that character and she was really not being used anywhere. Also, she has the perfect uniform to be on my yes. team, black and white. Yes. Oh, <laughs> just perfect. saying, I'm just saying it's a perk. It's a bonus. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we, um, but, but yeah, so uh, I had a very clear vision with, with Black Widow specifically, I had actually pitched this idea a couple of years ago and it just wasn't the right time for it or they weren't into it or whatever and it came back to me at the summit my Captain Marvel editor Sarah was like so what about Black Widow and I was like finally I was like yes and she was like yes and I said well okay but I gotta tell you right off I might not be the right fit I was like I don't really want to do red room stuff like yeah. I'm over it like I think it's great but it's like it's really good, but it's well covered. Yeah. Like, let's move on. I, I really want to move away from that. And she was like, I'm totally into that. Yeah, I'm glad and you so, did. Yeah. So I just had this idea about a really emotional opening arc that would sort of recenter her and oh. like fundamentally change her without completely changing her circumstances, i.e. I still needed her to be a single spy superhero person when it was done. Mm -hmm. And so... It was like, what are the ways in which I can make this like really emotionally devastating and that would really change you if you went through this experience that we can then bring to the book after that and then keeping her in San Diego to sort of make her, you know, for lack of a better word, the Batman of San Francisco. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Let her be that, you know, icon that's trying to help that city. Um and I would have just wanted to continue on doing that. I mean, I, I I had big ideas about what that could look like and small ideas about what that could look like. But yeah, I mean, that's, I, I would have liked, I would have loved to keep telling those stories. Um, I think <laughs> number one on my priority list for this other story we're gonna do will be to have like a little flashback to the Hellfire 
club thing so I can show Ooh. everyone in their outfits because Elena will oh, be great nice. with that. <laughs> oh my God, that was brilliant. <laughs> um, oh. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, we wrote it. I wrote in that the whole thing with the gala that they're in in that last arc. I mean, that was very much designed because Elena is so good at that kind of thing. And I really wanted to see her show off and, and like really really bring it on that stuff i my only regret is that we didn't have more panels before we had to get them out of those outfits and everything but because that arc you know that arc is only four issues to start with and one of them is set in the past a full fight issue so you know our our page time was very like very precious Mm -hmm. sort of amazing we got in and out actually (laughs) yeah it wrapped up really yeah sometimes i look back at it and i'm like that's a miracle that that works um but yeah i um so i think the 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 answer is it really depends on the book it depends on the writer editorial is always going to be involved how Mm -hmm. much they're involved depends a lot on what you're doing who you are what you're trying to do what characters you're doing it with um you know i think they're always interested in connecting these things together so they try to keep everyone aware of what other people are doing in their books and what mini events or events are upcoming to see to get people excited about what are the things they can riff on and and take off in their own book but Mm -hmm. i only really like to connect when i really feel like it's gonna improve the book and sometimes that hurts us sometimes not i don't know there's there are theories about being part of a tie-in bumps your numbers but i haven't really seen that to be that in evidence yeah it's a lot of times the books where we've struggled like issue six and seven of black Mm -hmm. of black of captain marvel are um, right tie-ins to war of the realms which is a great event but and it makes sense that you'd want to tie into it because it's happening everywhere so we didn't want to just ignore it but do i think those are our strongest issues no i think i think they're fun i think we decided to play with them and it ended up setting up some of the stuff we've done later which is great with strange and like the magic stuff so i i don't dislike it in any way i just don't think being war of realms tie-in didn't like give us great boost in numbers or something yeah so you know it's all a little bit of a formula i hate to take some of the magic out of it but you know you're just trying to just trying to get along yeah <laughs> right you know it's funny too though uh before we were recording we were talking about really strong female-led movies where there's really visceral action and i'm thinking back to a lot of what you did with black widow and both with elena too and the way she drew it but it kind of felt like an atomic blonde type movie where you've got these really yeah. emotional. I mean, it honestly is better than atomic blonde because there's a lot that's kind of troubling with it. But the fact that you've got these emotional moments with her, but then you just get these very visceral, like two page paneled fights the that arm. are very John wick <laughs> and it, yeah. they're so quick and terrible. And then, you know, and then they're over and then they're back to <laughs> talking and, I, and it, it does feel like a kind of like a gunpowder milkshake type of Kate movie, which is, I thought it was cool. So in a way, you kind of got to create your own movie in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I love that you guys are getting that. I mean, that was certainly a big part of our idea for Black Widow was, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of DeLuca effect, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but it's named after Gianni DeLuca, a comic artist where there's multiple of the same figure in a panel. Mm. So you have multiple Black Widows moving. Ballet. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so um, 
lots of lots of people do it. We're seeing it a lot in the Nightwing book. Um, they're doing it a lot right now too. Bruno is, or Bruno and Tom, I should say. Um, so I like to write scenes like that into almost all my books, not just because I'm a fan of the style, but because my favorite part of writing it into my books is seeing different ways my artists interpret it. Some of them do it really literally. Some of them do it a different way. I mean, I've written it into Hawkeye. I've written it into um, Mr. Yeah. Mr. and Mrs. X and um, Rogue and Gambit, sort of. That one was a little different, but um, yeah, I write it in everywhere. <laughs> I love That's it. Cool. I love it. But with Elena, you know, I'd never worked with her before. And I was very sure she was the right artist for us from for on so many levels. Um, you know, some of the Black Widow or some of the um, Catwoman stuff she'd done was like really uh -huh. clearly to me where she was going to be a home run for this. And um, so I wrote the first issue. And of course, I wrote a DeLuca scene in it. And um, oh, so it's that, that, yeah, it's that first hallway scene. And I think when uh -huh. those pages came back, that was when I knew like we really had something. I was like, oh, if she can do this with it, that we really have something. And so we basically made a commitment to, you know, every issue has fight scenes. And then we basically made a commitment to, you know, really making those incredible set pieces that each had at least one double page spread. Mm -hmm. They don't all have DeLuca effect. Like the, the issue two isn't really one. And even though issue four has one that I love, technically it has panel borders, so it's not really DeLuca effect, but it has the same kind of energy, you know, and watching her reinvent that over and over again uh, in new ways was amazing uh just amazing like yeah she's incredible yeah she's one, was, one of the reasons she's so great is i think all great artists you know they want to they want to please their collaborators they want to do their best work but they're mostly judging themselves against themselves like they want to push mm -hmm. what's better than what i did last time and elena is very much that person uh, and that's how you get these incredible fight sequences that one up each other over and over again, you know. Sarah, I'm gonna I'm gonna freestyle too, and yeah, just do it. With interest of time, we're getting to a question that I'm I'm dying to know. With um, when you were working on Uncanny X Men, uh, I had gotten into that run, and I loved it because you know part of I, I think part of the excitement with that run for me at least was knowing House of X and Powers of Ten was coming. And so being like, oh, they're going to do whatever they want in this because, you know, it's all going to get reset. So like, this is going to be a really cool story. But it was really interesting to see how it was three different writers doing different pieces of it. And then I noticed you did the same thing with Amazing Spider-Man too, with the Beyond series. It was you plus Zeb and, and like four other writers all tackling different pieces of this. And so what I was curious about is in these instances, what does that look like? Cause I know obviously, you know, you're on the monthly deadline to turn in a script for a certain something, but when you're collaborating with other people like that, is it different? Obviously probably, but I mean, how, how does that look? And how, how are you going from another person's work to now creating your issue and then having to pass that on to another person and, and in both ways, cause they're both a little different. Yeah. Um, I, I think the answer is it's different every time and sometimes by design and sometimes just because of the people that are involved, but like I've done a co-write in some form or another. Um, I think one, two, like six times now. Uh, Uncanny wow. and uh, Spider-Man are certainly the most high profile, 
but completely different. So in Amazing Spider-Man, there's definitely a leader, and that leader was Zeb Wells, and he was, you know, sort of in charge of all of us, along with um, the Spidey editor, Nick Lowe. And um, he, what that means is he was the decider to a degree. He was incredibly collaborative, but you know, at the end of the day, he was the one who was having to put the outline together. You know, he was the mm -hmm. guy who had to do that heavy lifting, which thank you, Zeb, because it's the hardest part and my least favorite part. Um, but so we were sort of built up around him. Um, so uh, Cody Ziegler, Zig, um, me, uh, Saladin Ahmed, and um, Patrick Gleason, who was also drawing some issues. Um, first of all, it was incredible to have Pat in there from the jump not just because he's a he's a he's a great writer and it was good to have his input but just because he thinks so visually like it was oh, incredibly yeah. helpful to have him in all those sort of brainstorming so that was like uh because it was the pandemic if it hadn't been the pandemic we probably would have had a, at least one summit in person in new york or somewhere um where it was like a little mini writer's room instead we did it by zoom um we did a few of those and then we also had a slack and an email chain and you know everything else so um it was it was really good i got very lucky in that i was doing the first i was doing two very early issues it was like zeb's kickoff issue and then me and so that's the easy position to be in because not as much story has been gone through yet but then i was supposed to have two issues at the very back end and i only got to do one and uh, that's a whole other thing, but that was very hard because I, and it wasn't even something I anticipated because I'd never run into it before, but it was an example of realizing the strengths you lie on, rely on. And then when someone takes them away as a writer, you're suddenly a bit blind man in a dark room. Yeah. Um, because you know one of the things that i'm think i'm good at and that is easy for me on this side of it is i always really know where my characters heads are at like i know their voice i'm in their head i get where they're coming from i know how to make them relatable and make them sound right and i felt completely lost when it was time to write issue 91 about where ben was because his head was in a completely different place than it had been when i was writing him in 70 six and 77 or whatever it was and while i'd read all the outlines and i knew where we were supposed to be and i'd read the material that had been done it wasn't all done so like i couldn't i couldn't really i couldn't really see exactly what had come right before it and it really caused me a lot of problems it, it made me very slow and insecure and it was a real eye-opener huh. um so that was a mixed bag as and that was only on me i mean that wasn't anyone on the team they were an amazing team zeb in particular i'm very very fond of he's incredibly funny and charming um it's one of those people you're like he's just gonna get everything he wants isn't he because he's just <laughs> he's just so likable he's also very talented but you know yeah. he's just so likable you just want to you just want to give him things um <laughs> so but then for uncanny it was completely different so that was just matt rosenberg and ed brisson and i and we were really good friends um i was so excited to do it with them and then i was suddenly terrified because i was like oh god what if this goes horribly and i lose my two best friends in comics uh fortunately it went really well we worked really well together but and that was 
because that was pre-pandemic, we did have a mini summit in New York with us and the editors and some of the higher ups, like trying to figure out these pieces. You're right that there was a freedom in it because our directive was break everything. Um, and I think we, we fulfilled the directive that they needed of us, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know that it's what any of us would have done on our own. I mean, there was still mm -hmm. quite a bit of editorial hands-onness, um, which I don't necessarily mean in a negative way. I know it sounds a little bit that way, but it's not necessarily negative, but there was a lot of driving stuff. Um, sure. And there was a lot of, I mean, like just as an example of something that is sort of frustrating we had this big argument when we were in the room actually about what the covers should be because we wanted to do something really different and something that would really stand out stuff that was simpler than what you usually see maybe more white space like think saga fiona staples you know like more like that kind of thing like more iconic and simpler mm -hmm. and less like sort of busy and we weren't saying that we couldn't ever have like an all fight cover, right? Like one of my favorite comic book covers ever is uh, X-Men number three by Jim Lee. It's just all these figures all fighting. And, you know, so I'm not saying we were saying we can't have that, but we just sort of wanted this different angle and they were just incredibly resistant to it. And we, while we had a lot of really cool covers in the end, uh, including a lot of really great variants uh, for the issue one, you know, they were basically the most standard issue superhero covers for an event you'll ever see. I mean, they were just like everything else you ever see. And that was a bummer for me because we really, we wanted to try to do something different. And there were times when that was just sort of cut off at the past, you know? Huh. I, wonder, but, I wonder, do you think it was because like knowing that it was going to end and that there was this big thing on the horizon that they didn't want it to catch fire? I mean, in a way it, it did for, I mean, for me, like, I loved that, but for it to just be like, let's maybe let's just put some more basic covers on here that way, you know, we're going to put this no, out, it's going to be done and leave it. It wasn't like that. I don't think it was that they saw it as putting basic covers on it. I think they saw it as this is what works you guys are trying to be indie oh. or whatever about it, but we know what works and what works oh, is okay. yeah, yeah. the covers need to look like this. And it was just frustrating because I think the three of us do know what works and sometimes yeah. what works, I think, I, well, I think sometimes what works is to lean against type, right? And we right. thought that here we are doing this story that is almost 90s style in the sense of like all the villains and things were bringing dredging back up and throwing all the kitchen sink at you right yeah and i think we just thought maybe leaning away from that it's just i just feel like it, with an event everything is so expected how it's going to look and how those covers roll out and we just thought there might be value in pushing against it. But what I will say to you, and which honestly I didn't really think of until you just said this, is that they may have been, however, trying to keep us more away from what they felt House of X and Powers of X were gonna look like. Like maybe they felt right. like what we were talking about was too visually the way that Hickman was maybe going or something. So that could have been a thing. Mm. 
that, you know, you really only sort of understand later with more context, you know, right. so that could have been part of their resistance to it. And the reason they wanted us to just go the more traditional route, but we were sort of bummed out by it because listen, they, sure. they pull you in to do uncanny X-Men on a co-write with your friends. Like you want to do the coolest thing you can do in the right. time you have, you don't know if you're ever coming back, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I will say that, um, in all other ways, uh, the the collaboration with Matt and Ed and I was different in that we did a thing that I think very few teams can do, which is we made the choice early on, which especially after my Spider-Man experiences, I think is the superior choice, but I don't think it's always a possible choice. We made the choice that we were all three going to write every issue. So we just broke the issues up so that occasionally when they were oversized issues you'd get clean page breaks like oh we're each doing 10 or 20 pages for an oversized issue or something but most of the time when they were 20 pages we broke it what uh seven seven six and whoever had the six on that one had to do the outline so someone would someone would plot the outline we'd work on it together and fix it up, whatever. We'd break out the sections and it broke it broke pretty well most of the time. And we were just really confident that we had similar enough voices and or that we were skilled enough writers that we could smooth over the edges and that make it sort of seamless. So you didn't feel a, a voice change within the issue. And I think we were, I think we were pretty successful. I remember watching people trying to pick out who had written what, and sometimes they would get it, but not all the time. And uh, it was fun. It was fun to do it that way. And now that I've tried it sort of the other way with Amazing Spider-Man, I think for me particularly and my own weaknesses as a writer, that was far superior because I was locked in on every step of it all the way. There was never anything I didn't know. I didn't ever go away to do my work and someone else went away to do their work. And then we came back together. It was, we were all involved in the mix cool. all the time. And uh, it was really fun. That's really cool. Awesome. <laughs> and speaking of collaboration, um, I, I am part of another podcast on, on this network. It's called nerdy girls after dark. Um, and we, we have talked about, the gatekeeper issue with like fandoms and um, older older males think you know just like it's it's like a weird hazing thing when a girl is a nerd yeah. and it's like so I wanted to hear from you what is it what has it been like being a female in what has mostly been a male dominated industry and has it have you seen it evolve over time is it becoming easier and more accessible for female creators i don't i don't know i hope so i sort of think our sheer numbers like maybe not in the marvel and dc sphere so much but you know if you look at who's publishing books in large mm -hmm. numbers like you know ya books particularly ya comics especially but mm -hmm. it's a ton of female talent i mean everything from laura olympus the insanely popular web web comic which now is also mm -hmm. a print comic like you know it's just there's just so much female talent out there and there's so much interest i think in the female perspective and in those different voices now that i think it's unstoppable um but 
I love that. Uh, I, I do. I, I just think that there's too much talent out there. It's yeah. just, it's like a wave, you know, like you can't, you can't stop that. But, um, you know, it's true. I mean, there's a reason I'm not on a video with you right now. And it's because yeah. I try, I don't do video. I don't do cons. I don't do signings. I don't do any of that stuff. And some of that is, has nothing to do with being a woman in a male dominated industry where I get sent threatening shit all the time. And some of it does have to do with that. Um, it's just a way to protect myself and my privacy and I don't really like it. And it's certainly not necessary on many levels. I mean, tons of women are out there in a way. Some of it is also that I'm a fat woman and that just spikes everything to the, you know, like it's, and it's so, it's so hypocritical. It's like, I definitely got my job from being a cute girl oh, but I'm also a fat piece of shit. So, you know, which, which is it? Which is it? Did I get my job because I'm cute or did I, or am I a worthless, fat, mm -hmm. gross girl that you don't want to have sex with? Like they can't even make up their minds, but it's all really disgusting yeah. and it's all really upsetting and it shouldn't have anything to do with my job. And it's right. really annoying that I have to spend even a second thinking about it because it's stupid. And, it stupid. Um, you know, Matt Rosenberg does think a lot about this because he's a good person and a good ally and he worries about his colleagues and he wants things to be better, but he wouldn't have to think about it for a single day if he didn't want to, you know? Um, I mean, I'm sure there are other problems that uh, I don't have that, that Matt has to face. So I understand not everything is balanced all the time, but it's, uh, it's gross, man. It's yeah. gross that it's even a thing we have to consider. Um, but as with many things in the world, especially right now, I do think, you know, the youth, <laughs> they're going to save us. I got to believe yes. it. You know? They're just, they're just better for the most part. Um, I mean, I wish they would be a little more patient sometimes on Twitter <laughs> and understand how systems work and that you can't just dismantle them overnight and that freelance <laughs> artists aren't always in charge of everything. Um, but I admire their dedication. I admire how over it they are and like yes. how unwilling they are to just have it not change. And that gives me a lot of hope for women and for minorities of all kinds in this industry. Um, I think everyone gets better when, and everything gets better when we just have more voices at the table, you know? Yes. Yeah. I'm so sorry you went through that, Kelly yeah it's all right up. you know it's it, it, the funny thing is it was actually worse for me when i was writing about comics and i don't know if that's because oh. i wasn't oh. doing as good a job as protecting myself but yeah i mean i had a podcast and i wrote an op-ed called she has no head which was about women in comics so it was big target on my back and uh, i did a podcast three chicks review comics and i wrote reviews for cbr and publishers weekly and a place called lit reactor and you know i mean some of the harassment i got is insane and so before i even broke in i was you know i if, if that if i had broken in a different way there probably would be videos of me at cons and things like that because i sort of wouldn't have realized but i was well aware of how bad it was like before i broke in and and i predict i thought it will only get worse because i'm yeah. just some sort of nobody now but if i really start making a career for myself in this it's going to make me a much bigger target. And yeah. I don't know, I, I took really protective measures right out of the gate. 
Um, and so I don't know how much that helped or hurt, but I do know that I never went to any cons or yeah. signings and I feel bad about that part of it. I feel bad about keeping myself away from fans. Like I've got so many really amazing fans. They're so supportive. They're so nice. They're so kind. Yeah. <laughs> and it feels bad to like keep yourself at arm's length from yeah. everyone just because there's also this other stuff, you know? Well, and I, I get that because I mean, there's a reason why I don't use my last name on yeah. anywhere socials uh it, unless we are good friends i yeah. nobody knows my last name and that is yep. by design yeah yeah and, and putting myself out there as um a, a very vocal lgbtq plus member um yeah. member of the community it's it's yeah you put a target on your back and being a female so yeah yeah, yeah i hear you yeah. multiple targets multiple <laughs> <laughs> How many do you want? We'll give you all the <laughs> Oh Lord. Yeah, and I'm I'm going through the I I am I'm, I'm really enjoying this interview because I think I know, a lot a lot of the pieces of it I feel have just come a lot more organically and we've been skipping a lot of the actual questions that we had because you <laughs> brought up some more interesting things than the things we came up with. Um so I want to try and find another one that uh yeah, and I guess kind of going back to uh what we were talking about earlier when you're talking about bringing Anya and bringing in new characters. Uh, I love your Captain Marvel run. I mean, I, I ran to the store day one to buy that issue when it came out uh, just because C Carol's one of my favorite characters. And then seeing you were the one writing it, I was like, Oh, Same. I, I got to get in on this. And I, I found it interesting. I don't know if this was by design, but I, first question would be is hazmat in that same thing because when i saw her i got i loved avengers academy and when i saw her i was just like thank you like somebody brought her back which sounds like it is the other piece though is i noticed it almost felt like in each of your arcs you have like the intro of a brand new character whether that's star or carol's sister or you know she's got magic now or th there's always some sort of cool new thing that comes out with that arc is that something that just organically came from your stories or was it also a piece of like hey is th this could be a way that i could continue writing this because those issues are the ones that go to the second and third print when there's a first appearance of x y and z yeah. uh, but i was just curious about that well i think that goes back to what i was saying before about we never had the road given to us so we have to sort of reinvent the wheel every new arc we all there always has to be something there should be something sort of marketable you know yeah. that we can tease people about or excited about um yeah. you know sometimes it's been a new character uh like l'oreal uh sometimes it's the crazy uh dark captain marvel suit you know right yes like yeah avengers like sometimes it's been we're playing with magic and then she ended up getting a magic suit for that which was sort of an accident but turned out very fun <laughs> um you know star you know I, I don't think i mean listen none of those things work if you don't go in and like do the work and like yes. earn it right? right like the character has the character you're introducing needs to make sense for what you're doing thematically like you know you need to draw all those things together in order for it to be a powerful story but yeah there's absolutely an an intent that to keep your commercial book going like let's find a hook that people can get excited about or that variant covers can be made of or that right. it can go as a big headline on a thing you know like 
I, and it, it, sometimes you do it so well, it backfires on you. For example, what's happening to us right now is that we, so at the end of the last issue of Captain Marvel, she disappears and we don't know where she's gone or what's happened. And so that's part of the mystery of the new arc that's upcoming. And part of that is while she's missing because she's disappeared, this binary character is is sort of stepping into her shoes to try to help because here we've taken a big hero off the table how many more people die every day because captain marvel is missing right so we have her stepping into that but she's not really stepping into it because she doesn't know who or what she is yet she's still figuring that out and so um so these are the themes we're playing with. These are the things we're talking about. We get to show off a big, exciting new character and we create a mystery of what's going on with Captain Marvel. Well, so what do those clickbait headlines become? Some of them um, very innocently are like, new character replacing Captain, you know, they're just sort of repeating what they think the thing is. But then there's a lot of people that wanna see a book like Carol's fail, that want to see that character yeah. fail, that want to see me fail. And so they start going, I mean, I saw an article that claimed that Marvel Studios is trying to get rid of Brie Larson. And the, and I saw the, that proof, too. the proof is in the fact that we're replacing the character in our own book. <laughs> Fuck wow. off. Wow. Fuck all the way off. I mean, first of all, the idea that you're so stupid <laughs> for one second to think that what a freelance writer whose book sells, I don't know, 30 or 40,000 a month and a good month is driving a billion dollar film decision. I can't help you if you're that stupid. That's not how this works. And you should, everyone should know this. That's like paint by numbers shit. Secondly, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. It's so dumb. And so those people want to twist what's supposed to be a great mystery story and which we, you know, we, we planted that. Like, I don't want people, I, I feel like if people have been reading Captain Marvel, they have faith in me that I'm not going to hurt Carol. I want to yeah. tell great stories that push her, but no, I'm never going to replace her in her own book. But saying that, takes the wind out of the story so comics is such a weird bird in this way you know we don't have free advertising the way tv shows do and we don't have trailers like movies do and mm -hmm. i guess we're a little bit like books but i even see more ads for books to be honest and so this is the machine solicits and sort of clickbait articles yeah. and social media and so you have to lean into it if you want people to be speculating about your book and thinking there's some new thing coming some exciting thing coming and so that's sort of the packaging that we gotta drum up every arc like what's a banner we can put on this so right. people are excited about this new thing and then we go in and we try to tell the best story we can within that you know framework i mean i think the first time you know, when it happened with Star, it really took us by surprise because, or at least me, um, because the way those arcs were designed, the Falling Star arc, I pitched as the first arc of Carol's uh, new launch, not the apocalyptic arc. I love the apocalyptic mad uh, <laughs> new killer ram arc. I love it. I love that kind of thing. But I didn't think 
with the movie launching, they were going to want to have her in that scenario right out of the gate. But they really liked the arc and they liked the idea that we could get the first issue that was sort of recentering her before that happened. And so they wanted to do that. They were really excited about it. And Carmen did these incredible designs. And so they got really, really excited about it. And so we did that. Now, that ended up making us look really smart because we were able to introduce Ripley Ryan in that first issue. And then she was just sort of very background for the next few. And then she ends up, and I'm ruining this for people, she ends up turning out to be star, which you find out so many issues later. So it looked more like we had this really great plan because we ended up switching how the arcs worked out, which was super fun. But yeah, there was a real feeding frenzy over Star. And honestly, if not for that creation of that character and the way fans were responding to that idea and some of the covers they were seeing and stuff like that, I think we would have been canceled at 11. Hmm. Um, um, because the numbers, even on five, the numbers weren't great. I think we got a very small uptick for that War of the Worlds, those two issue tie-in. And then we were in Star for eight and people were going crazy. And that saved us. And that saved us a little bit like I think happened with Al, where it just got enough people talking that people came on board mm -hmm. and they saw the attrition wasn't going to be what they thought it was. They saw that we could rebound. And then we got very lucky with Lee Charbet coming in for that The Last Avenger. I had this very big idea for The Last Avenger. It was a very different kind of Carol story. I thought it could be a big deal. Marvel could see that it was a big deal, although I think they were also terrified. I mean, uh, Tom Brevoort and I had this whole argument about, um, you know, because the end of that first issue, she presents Thor's head. And he's right. like, you know, and so that was in the outline. And he's like, yeah, but people aren't going to think Thor is dead. It doesn't work. And I was like, but that's not the story. Like, we all yeah. know Thor is not dead. The story is what the hell is going on? Right. <laughs> the story is I know Thor's alive. So why is she holding his head? What's happening? And he was like, all right. He was like, you know, you, you convinced me, whatever. And then they were really happy with it. And that arc did really well. And I think it was a great reinforcement of that. We knew what we were doing and we could keep building this up and mm -hmm. i think for the most part we have i mean we had the empire arc after that which ended up introducing l'oreal and um then we went and the order of things yeah then we went back with lee jarbet we went to the future for the new world arc which i wish we'd had a couple more issues for because it was very pressed for time but was really fun you know sort of world breaking stuff and then we did this magic stuff and there was a new costume and there was a hookup with dr strange and you know like <laughs> so you just what are these exciting things that'll get people talking about it and that are things we can put in a press release that won't undercut the actual story you know that will lean into what we're trying to do yeah Great that answer. Because I think a lot of yeah. times too, I think a lot of people look at, I mean, the biggest one I always remember, my first one would have been when Captain America died way back when yeah. Joe Casada showed up on USA Today and was talking about <laughs> yeah. it. And then it was like, oh, wait, he's coming back. We got this whole yeah. new reborn thing. And then everyone yeah. kind of tanked that because they're like, nah, nah, nah. And, it, and it felt a lot more like it was a gimmick. Whereas like with yours, yeah. they they always serve the story. Mm -hmm. And I think that's I think that's important for any writer too, is like, yeah, have a gimmick like by all means yeah. but make sure that gimmick connects to what you're trying to do and isn't just there as a kind of flashy outer coding 
Yeah, I think that's that's the trick, right? And I'm not going to pretend that I've solved it. I, I think all writers, um, all creators probably deal with this kind of issue, which is you do sort of need the gimmick in order to get the seats, uh, the eyes on your pages, the asses in the seats, whatever, right? You need that gimmick a little bit in this in this busy modern world where it's so easy for everything to get lost and there's so much media and you have to find a way to stand out. But the whether it feels like a gimmick or not, I think, uh, it's my impression, is how you feel after you finish reading or mm -hmm. watching or absorbing the thing. If you like the story you got and you feel emotionally fulfilled and there were these cool things, then you don't care if the dark Captain Marvel suit is a gimmick. You had a great time. Like, it doesn't matter that that's how we helped sell you to come on board because you loved the story. And But if you didn't really love the story, then I think it's very easy to be like, ugh, this suit is a gimmick, you know? And I, I think that's okay, too. Like, not every story is going to connect for every person. But I do think it's my job and my collaborators' jobs to try our best to make that the best story it can be so that even if you had to, you know, take a little uh, gimmick medicine with it, you had a great time and you're yeah. happy about it, you know? Yep. Okay, so Kelly, I can't let you leave uh, without asking I don't, this. I don't know the answer. I think it's no. not, I think it's not released, isn't it? Look, look the, the reason I even bother asking, and for, the, for those of you watching this, back in, two, it was like 2008 or whatever, after Secret Invasion, Norman Osborn came up with Hammer, which was this acronym. And I, I just remember the bullpen went crazy with it. They were talking about, oh, this it's a big secret. Like, we're going to reveal this. It's coming. And it just ended up fizzling out and phasing out. We never found out what it was. And I've always promised myself, if I ever talk to anyone in the know, I got to ask because <laughs> somebody has to know, Kelly. Someone has to know. If you don't know, that's totally fine. But I know it's out there somewhere. And I'm going to figure it out. Well, but if there really is an answer, I mean, first of all, let's be honest, it was his response to S.H.I.E.L.D., right? Exactly, right. So first of all, Hammer is the perfect name. That's hilarious. Right. It's yeah. amazing. It's the complete opposite of a S.H.I.E.L.D. I love it. <laughs> um, secondly, acronyms are really hard and often dumb, unless you're doing MODOK once, in which they're supposed to be dumb, and then it works. <laughs> um, but what i don't I, i'll be honest with you i don't remember them making a big deal of it um i'm not saying you're wrong i'm sure you're right i just don't have recall of that but what would be what would be the reason to not let people know what it is i don't know that's the, that's the big question and I'm i just it just because i know you know hammer is such an interesting uh lettering of like, what does the H stand for? Both of the M's back to back? Is that multiverse <laughs> of madness? Is that why they haven't released it? I don't know. I think but... it's malted milk balls. That's what I think. Um, okay. Hey, that's no, fine. I, no, I, I just, I, it just seems like it, it doesn't really, my, my view of it doesn't really line up, I think, because if I was right, then I don't think they would milk it because they, they wouldn't want to do it. My view of it was, 
of course it doesn't mean anything osborne is an asshole of course he would just yeah. write hammer <laughs> and, and then someone's like what does it stand for he's like who fucking cares it's hammer <laughs> that's what it is like that seems on brand to me and also funny and like a very comic booky thing to do and so i like it but if that was true you're right i don't really know why they would tease it it seems if they're going to tease it that there should be an answer. But now I've got an O2. I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask. Yeah, I don't think it was like some huge marketing campaign. I just remember it was an interview either with Brevoort or it was with Bendis or somebody where they were just like, yeah, it stands for something, but we can't reveal oh. it just yet. Well, and I someone saying like, that means it stands for nothing. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> now I know what it is. So I'm the only <laughs> one that remembers this then. Okay. I'm no, like... no. I'm saying they didn't figure it out. Either they yeah. thought it was funny so whatever or someone misspoke i mean keep in mind you know as much as they try to keep the coordination there uh you know they're not a hive mind so right. well one guy says to like hey that's a real thing like and then some writer somewhere is like oh no it's not it's a joke like we didn't right. decide what we thought it was funny and he forgot that we thought it was funny or whatever Oops. so i that would be my that would be my guess now that i heard that little tidbit okay. but um good to know that what does the internet say is there any I, I trust me i've googled no one else is even asking the question i think really? this is just me i'm in a multiverse where i'm the only one that knows i'm the, it's the it's the reverse truman show at this point <laughs> i don't know alex this seems like the kind of thing the internet loves i think we need to. that's what i'm saying i feel like this is this is the controversy we need right now there have got to be people speculating <laughs> on what it means this is nerd catnip i feel like oh right exactly <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh well uh, on that note, um, I know that we have taken up more of your time than we were going to, and we are so thankful um, that you chose to join us and be with us today, Kelly. Um, thank you so much. Uh, do you do you want to plug any of your socials or tell yeah, us a little um, bit about your next project? What's next sure. for you? Sure, I will actually. Thank you because I'm doing these creator owned books on Substack and I'm trying to get as many eyes on them as we can. Our first book is Black Cloak. Um, it's a detective story uh, set in a fantasy world. So fantasy cool. creatures, but it's sort of like um, a couple hundred years ago, all these creatures banded together to defeat the big bad, to defeat, defeat the big bad. And they did that and now they're just trying to live together in the same city and it's not going great um <laughs> so awesome. my detectives are trying to solve that and it's sort of we've given it a sort of it's sort of like um a fantasy world but that's been propelled toward the future so it's got a little bit of a neo-noir blade runner vibe to oh, it cool. um it's really beautiful meredith mclaren is my um collaborator art she does uh art and colors and um, becca carey is our uh letterer um chapter four is coming out on monday and that is nice. that's about so that's about 70 pages so far that's out oh, okay you can read um the first chapter is available for free um and we've got a new book uh i don't have my release date on it yet but madia Diulius, my jessica jones uh co-creator uh he's doing the art for it it's incredible he turned in these panels yesterday i sent them to matt and ed I was like, are these two of the most beautiful comic book panels Ooh. in all of history? And they basically told me to fuck off. They were so <laughs> mad. 
Ed said he was seething with jealousy like he almost couldn't see the panels because it's so red in his <laughs> eyes it's it's such stunning work so that's for a book called The Cull which is sort of like oh, the a cull, dark yes. a dark twisted um, horror vibes uh, Goonies but if you were like teenagers so they're, they're older they're like just graduated high school kind of age uh, and they go off on a mission to shoot this short film at some uh, famous rocks by the bay they live by, and uh, it uh, goes very wrong. Anyway, <laughs> so that's a five-issue miniseries. That'll be starting up, I don't know, it's probably going to be in the summer sometime on Substack. These will be coming Substack. to print from Image. Nice. Um, but if you want to support the creation of great comics, consider subbing to the Substack. There's all sorts of cool stuff back there. If you've enjoyed any of the stuff we talked about here, we do these cool process junkies posts. I sometimes do interviews with some of my collaborators. Uh, we're having a really good time over there. We're also building a really nice little community. Um, you know, it's sort of baby steps on that kind of thing, but I have some really diehard readers who are really great about commenting and it's very nice and pleasant in the comments and everyone talks about comics and gets along. It's been a great experience. Um, That's cool. Yeah. And there's tons of great creators on Substack. Obviously I'm the most important one, but there's tons of them <laughs> and they're creating a lot of cool stuff. Um, uh, Andy Stevenson has one of my favorite Substacks right now. They're just doing these incredibly insightful, powerful, sometimes just funny or heartfelt comics on there really great stuff so i don't know i i know we're all a little tight on money these days but if you want to throw your some money your way to support some creators and to read some great digital comics um i, th I think subsex got some really cool options Absolutely. um i'm also going to be announcing a third project but i can't say what that is yet so mm. a lot of value for your money over on the Kelly Thompson Substack. It's uh, okay. 1979semifinalist.substack.com. Okay. Um, what, what is the timeline on the, the Black Widow follow-up? What can we expect? Well, so there was a plan pr prior to the official cancellation, there was sort of a plan and that would have been an issue coming out in October. I okay. think, but it's going to be later than that because A, my hope is that I'm pitching something a little bit bigger. So I don't know that this will happen, but you know, we initially talked about a one shot and that may still yeah. be all they're willing to do like a 30 pager. But I was thinking that if I came up with a really great idea, maybe they would let us do like a 64 pager, like a, one of those weird sort of $10, yeah. Yeah. Almost, almost like a mini graphic novel. Yep. Um, I definitely have a great idea for that. Um, and I think if we split art duties between Elena and maybe Raphael, one of the Raphaels that did great art for us, mm -hmm. like maybe, cause I, I don't think they would say yes to that if Elena had to draw all that because just, you know, she's very yeah. in demand and her time and everything, but I know she wants to do more Black Widow. So I'm hoping I can get that through with like both artists and we can have like a really great little standalone that's like an end cap to our run. That's the hope, but there are a lot of things that have to happen between now and then, including what Elena's schedule looks like is the main thing. So okay. yeah, oh, I will crossed. say that, I will say that if we can't get the whole band back together, I probably won't do it. Like it okay. doesn't, it doesn't make it sense. It wouldn't feel the same. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, we, we, we ended it in a way that 
we thought worked as well as it could, knowing that we were maybe not going to get any more. Yeah. And so I would just, if we can't get the whole band back together, I would just have to be happy with that, I think. Um, but that's not what I want. I have a lot of really fun ideas that aren't just about the Hellfire outfits, but definitely include the Hellfire outfits. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes, please. Also, we got, I got to find a way, if we do it, I got to find a way to get a Carol cameo in there because did you see Carol's Hellfire outfit? No, not, not yet. yet. It's just like a blue pantsuit with like these stars and this cape. Ah, oh. I love it so much. I think is Erica, it a Dowderman design or was it no? I, else no, there? actually, I mean Dowderman. Gosh, he's so great, isn't he? I love him. Fantastic. Um, but no, I think um, I think Erica DeUrso did this one. Oh, um, but it's got it's got very gay Carol energy, and I love it so much. I'm I'm here for Gay Carol. Yes. Oh wow! I'm looking at it right now. I, I pre-ordered I pre-ordered that cover <laughs> before I even knew what it would look like because I love Carol that much. But yeah, this I'll send well, it to you. Let's talk about how okay, angry please. I am. That's not on our book. I don't understand why they do this. Me neither. It's never, on Black Panther. I will never yeah. understand it. Why? Why? I'm... Well, and I it's just had weird. an issue too, and I'm not trying to bash Marvel at all, but I, I pre-ordered. It was uh, amazing. The, the the new Amazing Spider-Man that Zeb mm-hmm. uh, Zeb's doing with uh, John mm-hmm. Romita. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a variant cover for da- that Dowderman was doing. I was like, I got, I love Dowderman. I was like, I gotta do this. But then I checked on my pre-order, and now it's Alan Davis. Hmm. And I was like, that's interesting. I know they do that some, but like obviously, you know, they're just submitting covers. I'm assuming. And then, yeah, this will work great for this comic, or this will work great for that comic. But it's just so weird if they're switching them, or like you said, you know, yeah. they put one on a different, a different cover yeah, that well, makes no sense. Yeah, I just, I don't. I mean, I guess maybe, maybe you, maybe you got priority if, so maybe the Black Panther book ties into the Hellfire Club. And so maybe that's why they got to do it, but that doesn't really make sense to me because we see mm-hmm. all the time that you get a weird cover, even though you're not participating in a thing. Like one of my Black Widow covers has like a crazy cover on it. Is it Bishop or something? Or maybe it's Cloak from cloak and dagger like it's a character i don't even know and it's from something i'm sure maybe it's heroes reborn or something oh yeah yeah. something tied to that and we didn't have anything to do with that and we got one of those covers so wasn't there an electro too where she she's like tussling with electro yeah maybe maybe so i so so it can't be that they only give them to people who are involved in whatever the thing is and so why wouldn't we have that great fairy cover come on yeah Yeah. i love that (laughs) i love it so much but it's over on black panther what the hell anyway who knows it's above my pay grade that's (laughs) (laughs) well kelly we have enjoyed this so much um good luck on on all of the stuff that you have coming up i'm going to keep my fingers crossed on the black widow follow-up and uh do you want to plug your twitter handle instagram yeah um twitter is at 79 semifinalist if you want cats i don't talk about comics much but my instagram is also <laughs> 1979 semifinalist so Excellent. Um. <laughs> cool well that's it for the April extravaganza. Thank you everybody for tuning in. Um, and we will see you next month with Josh Swaby in May. We'll see wow. you. Thanks everybody. Bye.